Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is so good to see you. Man, we are packed this morning. Uh, why don't we stand together? Stand together? It is, uh, yeah, whoops, I'm on the wrong, I'm on the wrong page. <laughs> we, this is the second service, so it's the second round through, so you all look like you needed to stand. All right, and why don't we pray together and while you're standing? <laughs> what do you think about that idea? <laughs> you know what, I'm going to blame a visiting pastor here. There's a visiting pastor here, and he says, you know, better be good today. And I was like, well, now that's done. <laughs> All right. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand in your presence and we ask your blessing now on the word. We are grateful, God, for your God-breathed word sent to save us. And we know that this word didn't come from any man. It has its origin in heaven through the heart of God, God-breathed word sent to instruct us and to train us in right relationship with you, to comfort, to exhort, to correct, to rebuke. And Lord, have your way as we yield our hearts and open them to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You could be seated at this time. Maybe this is a new way of doing things. All righty. Back in the day, as we like to say, uh, the television shows made really good use of that cliffhanger, um, you know, rather than concluding each television show in a nice uh, way with its own ending, they'd stop abruptly, you know, to increase ratings right in the middle of a suspenseful moment, you know, leaving us all hanging on the edge of the cliff, as it were, as a kid. I had these favorite television shows, in the evening, I'm there with my little dessert and my jammies on, and I mean, all engrossed and lost in space or something really wonderful like that. <laughs> and then came those three little words, to be continued, I despise those words. <laughs> a whole week to wait to find out what's gonna happen. Man, it was a lot as a kid to ask. Um, well, that's exactly what happened last week. Uh, right at the end of a chapter break, chapter 21 uh, breaks right in the middle of all the action and it created a holy cliffhanger. So let's go back and find out. Thank you for the slide. Let's go back and find out a little bit of uh, what was leading to all of this suspense. Especially if you were not here Sunday, you'll need some of this information. So tension has been mounting with the missionary team that Paul, the apostle, has been leading. Third missionary journey now coming to an end on their way to Jerusalem. But port after port after port, all the Christians are getting prophetic words. Hardship, persecution, jail time, chains over and over again, and so Paul is resolved to go, and Paul says, hey, don't break my heart, because a lot of Christians were pleading, don't go someplace this Holy Spirit is saying, hey, it's gonna be rough, but Paul said in that famous verse in chapter 20 and verse 24, my life is not dear to me, the only thing that's dear is doing the will of God, whether that means hardship, uh, Honor, dishonor, long life, short life, 
riches, poverty, whatever God's will is, that's what's dear to me. My life is not dear in that respect. And so he's resolved to go to Jerusalem and they make it to Jerusalem. Paul is willing to walk into the hornet's nest of Jerusalem, which is packed now for the holidays. Scholars say somewhere of Uh, around a million or so worshipers and pilgrims, tourists, would come down to Jerusalem or go up to Jerusalem, uh, rather, during the holidays. So Paul and the team, they also have uh, missionary representations from the Gentile churches. And so you have a bunch of Gentile men with them. They come to Calvary Chapel, Jerusalem, as I like to call it. They come in and they meet with the senior pastor and all the elders. Paul's telling all the details. Now, they're in Jerusalem. We know something bad's going to happen, so we just don't know when it's going to happen. So here's how it gets set up. Paul's telling the stories about world evangelism. The Lord has turned the Gentile world upside down. And these men are here with a love offering, and they represent churches that we've planted in the Mediterranean world and the leadership changes the subject says praise god but paul we got a problem you're not very loved around these parts even in our own church we have wanted posters for you nobody likes you paul because they're saying you're anti-jewish you're anti-circumcision you're anti-kosher You're telling everybody, hey, the law of Moses is out the window. You don't have to be a Jew anymore. Throw away that lifestyle. And of course, that's not what Paul was teaching at all. Paul Paul had great respect for the traditions, but not in an effort to be saved by them. And so uh, he preached Jesus only. You turn to Jesus whether you're a Jew or not. Jews, Gentiles, the same. Simple trust in Jesus the Messiah saves you, period. If you want to keep some of those traditions, that's all right. He wasn't saying get rid of them. He's saying don't lean on them for salvation because all you need is Christ. Well, you remember, and here we go now, it starts to build. They say, hey, listen, instead of pulling the church together, which is mega church, Thousands of Messianic Jews who love things kosher, keeping the law, right? Instead of pulling them in and saying, here's our brother Paul. Look at the Gentiles he brought. Look at, listen to the stories. Hey, you guys got the wrong idea about him. Instead of doing that, they put together what I've called a little Broadway production called Paul the Nice Jewish Boy After All. <laughs> All right, so here's what they said. If you missed last week, here's what they come up with. The leaders, they come up with this. They they say, do what we say. Paul, we know how to fix the reputation. Hey, we got four kosher Hebrew young men who uh, have taken a Jewish vow. What's more Jewish than a Nazarite vow? Here's our plan. Paul, shave your head. (laughs) Become more attractive by doing that. Just kidding. Shave your head, pay for the guys, sponsor them, stand with them in the temple, and everybody will change their tune about you. Now, this got stuck in my head. I am sorry. I'm going to put it in your head, too. I was thinking they're singing a new song, and it goes to the tune of It's a Small World After All. All right, so you know the tune, right? You want to hum it? 
Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> but stop. Uh, but the words are, Paul's a good Jew after all. All right, so let's try it. Paul's a good Jew after all. Stop, stop, stop. That's, that's what happens when you lock me up in an office for hours. All right. They think everybody's going to sing that song, but it backfires on them. And so here's what happens. Let me show you a picture of the temple complex. Go through here as a Gentile. This is this temp- temple complex, outer Gentile area free. Go through that door as a Gentile, you die. The Romans even said, kill him. Kill him first, ask questions. It said in big letters, Gentile foreigner, go through the door, die. All right? So that's the problem. The boys, all Jewish men, they go in the door, they go through the court of the women, and then they go through that door, men only, Jewish men only. They go in, they're doing their thing. One of the Paul haters from Ephesus spots Paul He thinks mistakenly that one of those Hebrew boys who shaved their heads is Trophimus because he saw them hanging out in the marketplace earlier. It's not, but he thinks it is. So he starts screaming, help, there he is, the apostle of anti-Judaism, the guy who's teaching everybody everywhere, anti-Moses. Besides all this, guys, there's a Gentile in here. So they grab them. They grab Paul. Whoops. They pull him out a door. There's a side door there. They drag him across here. They go out the gate. The gate's closed. Now they're trying to kill him. Now the Antonia Fortress here, uh, same place where Pilate stayed and all the Roman soldiers that occupy and keep the peace of Jerusalem would live there. That's where Jesus stood before uh, Pontius Pilate on the very same steps as Paul will 27 years earlier. So now Paul's out here getting beaten to death. The verb, they say they're trying to kill him, all right? So it takes a few minutes. So he's, he's damaged. He's wounded. He's hurt. They get him up to the steps, and you can't really see it here, but there are big steps. And they get him up to the steps, and that's where Paul says, hey, in perfect Greek, can I have a word with you? The guy says, you speak Greek? I thought you were Egyptian terrorist. He goes, no, I'm a Jew from, they've got it all wrong. I can clear this up. Just give me a minute. Can I speak to them? And the Holy Spirit goes, yes, he can. (laughs) (laughs) I never understood why he lets him speak, you know? And he's like, yeah, you could speak. I like your Greek, (laughs) you know? So he gets on the steps. They're looking. Everybody's looking. And he puts his hand in the air, and the crowd quiets down. He clears his throat, breathes a a quick prayer, dear God in heaven, help me. And then he says, verse 1, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Cilicia, this modern-day Turkey. 
but brought up in this very city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest, all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul's gonna give his testimony. We're gonna stop there and we're gonna divide this testimony up uh, into four points. All right, so if you're taking notes, number one, this is who I used to be. Number two, this is how I came to faith. Number three, this is me now. And number four, we're just going to see how the crowd reacts. So the crowd reacts that way. Interesting to me that Paul's defense isn't going to be something scholarly or theological or a scripture. Here's a guy who wrote 1314 of the New Testament epistles. Out of his mouth, he's got this moment, he's been waiting for an opportunity of a lifetime with this beautiful heart for the Jewish people. He's going to do something very effective. He's gonna give his testimony. You you know, you may not be comfortable uh, sharing in a theological debate. A lot of people say, hey, I know the scriptures, I know the Lord, I can't find them when I need them. And, And then somebody starts talking evolution and creationism, and I get all lost. Maybe so, but you know what you have? You have something better than that. You have a testimony. You have a testimony. The Lord's only asking that of every Christian. I want you to bear your testimony to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The call is not everybody's pastor or an evangelist or a Bible scholar or a commentator. He gave some as pastors, some as experts, some who study, some who have that gift. All of us then use our gifts and abilities as we are to give testimony. It's powerful because a testimony, a testimony shows the death and resurrection of Jesus because you're saying Jesus did these things and a living Jesus is the one responsible for the changes in your life. The Samaritan woman, man, just a testimony. She just goes back into town, the Lord touched her heart, and she she goes to the village and she says, hey, come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. He doesn't even know me, and he's telling me I had five husbands, he knows everything. He knows even the guy I have right now I'm not legally married to. You know, and he even, he knows that, how does he know? Could he be the Messiah? It says at the end of John 4 that that village believed on Christ because of the word of her testimony. There it is. It's powerful. It's a powerful thing. So along the way, I'm just going to give you some strategies that I'm seeing here as Paul's using the most, one of the most powerful evangelistic tools and weapons God has ever given anybody your personal testimony. So we're gonna talk about that. 
Now, uh, first of all, I would say look for an open door to share your testimony. Paul didn't have to look very hard because he sees a big crowd, he sees the steps, he sees the problem, he sees the opportunity. Man, I'm gonna get my heart's desire, I'm going to be able to speak. But you know, oftentimes, God puts you in a place like, hey, can you figure this out? It's time to give testimony. Your coworker says, hey, I've never just, uh, I'm just overwhelmed, I don't really know what to do. Pause. Or, or somebody will come in and say, oh man, my brother just got diagnosed with leukemia. <laughs> That's your cue. We have cues all the time, but we only remember them, or think about them, I should say, when we're walking away or when we get in the car. So you gotta be looking. Paul's looking, hey, I see. And and God's like, hey, I can work with this. And so he finds an opportunity. So from day one, this guy's heart has always been for the Jews. The Lord has always used them with Gentiles, but his heart is always for his homies, his Jews. Jews. (laughs) Romans 8, 9, 1 through 5. I'll put it up on the screen for you. He says, I'm telling you guys the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience in the Holy Spirit is bearing me witness. Listen, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. It just never goes away. My heart always hurts for people that I know and grew up with and I think like and I have so much in common with, but they're lost, but I got saved out of it. But I just, I just hurt for them. I wish if it were possible, I, I, I would go to hell if it meant they could be saved. That's a burden. He says, there's, how tragic, theirs is the adoption of sons, there's the divine glory, the Jews got the covenants, the receiving of the law, the Ten Commandments, the, the prophets, the promises, the temple worship, and the promises of God. Theirs are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and onward, and, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all. God filled a Jewish body in, in response to 300 Jewish promises of how, when, and, and where he'd do all of that. So Paul has just said, what? I have such a broken heart for such a tragedy, first of all. Number two, I'm from that tragic place, but I saw the light. Is, uh, Jesus, as Messiah, to a Jewish person, ought to be hand and glove fit. There's no reason for this. So Paul begins with a burden, and he sees the tragic thing. Now listen, if you don't love somebody and you're trying to tell them about Jesus, you just want to sound superior, or you're on a moral crusade of some kind, or you want to be proved right, forget about it. That's not what Paul is witnessing. Paul is witnessing out of a broken heart that love. He loves them. He doesn't want them to perish. He cares about them. If you don't care about somebody who you know by the scriptures is going to perish and have eternal loss, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with a Christian who doesn't have the least inkling of concern for somebody you know full well if they died in that condition, they would perish. And Paul has this burden, he knows. And he says, you know, those, we have a special place in our hearts, don't we, for, for, for those 
whom the devil has used the same tricks and the same lies. He's exploited the same wounds and weaknesses and misconceptions that uh, have worked for us, that blinded us in them. So Paul sees, I identify with this. This is how I got saved out of that. All the pitfalls, pitfalls of Judaism I managed to be delivered from. Now I want to go back to them. So it's, a, it's like drug and alcohol people who, who find the Lord. And then they see somebody trapped by it. It's just like broken hearted because you identify. You know what they're thinking. You know how they're feeling. They, you know how they fell into it. You know the family dynamic. And you know the way out. And so you go, and that's what kind of is happening. Paul is identifying with them. He says, I get you, Jews. I feel you. I know who you are. I know what you're thinking. We got the same thinking. We got the same humor. We got the same culture. We got the same language. We got the same food. We got the same Jewish mother, <laughs> practically. <laughs> I did the whole thing he's saying. You know what Paul, I hear Paul saying? I was just like you guys only more like you guys than you. I don't know how that's possible, but that's what it sounds like. He says, look, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Philippians chapter three. So if you're taking notes, identify with them. Find common ground. It really works. So he says, brothers and fathers, he begins with warm respect. Give me a chance to explain from my side. You know, uh, he doesn't begin with a provocative, hey, well, you guys are gonna kill me. Those, ask those guys with shaved heads, they're not Gentiles, they're Jews. Nope, it's not about him. Your testimony's not about you. So not about the, uh, you know, the pain you've suffered. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Yeah, you know what? He could go on about that, couldn't he? But he says, hey, brothers who I love, fathers who I respect, warm, wonderful. And then, how smart. He goes from international Greek that they all could speak to mother tongue their own mother tongue, the language they heard on mama's knees, he goes for the heart. Always go for the heart when you're talking to people. Whatever would endear them to the Jesus you love, you know, so they go, uh, he goes into Aramaic, something that they uh, spoke, they all spoke. You know, is there anything more awesome than when a stadium that's filled with loud noises suddenly goes quiet, and that's what happened. They heard Aramaic, they heard him say, brothers, fathers, in their mother tongue. They weren't ready for that. And it was a little quiet, but then a hush. What an awesome thing. There's something about your native language. We were in Japan for four years, at the end of about one year, we were lonely. We lived in a rural western seaside village, Kanazawa. And one day, Barb and I were shopping downtown, and I heard some guy behind me say, honey, you like this shirt? <laughs> I turned around, I said, are you guys busy tonight for dinner? 
They came over for dinner. It was a disaster, but they did come over. And I don't know why I'm going to tell you what happened, but I am. I said, do you like Japanese food? We're just talking. We're in the ginkan where you take your shoes off, right? And he said, yeah, we, we do. Some of it we like, some of it we don't. And then he said, one thing I hate is curry, Japanese curry. Guess what we were serving? <laughs> A big pot of Japanese curry. That's what you get for turning around in the mall and saying, hi, right, want to come and have dinner with us? But there was something about hearing English and calling, honey, it's like I call my wife, honey, we're brothers. It's beautiful. <laughs> Not really, but anyway. <laughs> Paul's defense, and so... Uh, number one, he finds common ground. He says, I am a true blue Jew like you. <laughs> he probably didn't say it quite like that. <laughs> now, interesting. He's become a Christian, but he says, I'm a Jew. You know what? When I tell people that, because Jewish people love to take the trump card out, the second they hear Jesus, they go, oh, I'm Jewish. Shields up, you know. And then I'll say, oh, shield's down, so am I. And so here's what they say, no, you're not. You're a Christian. First of all, dude, don't tell me what I am, all right? <laughs> Listen, I'm related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just like you are. So you know what? And I've done a more Jewish thing by receiving the Jewish Messiah. Uh, to reject the Jewish Messiah is to dishonor Judaism because Judaism is all about receiving him. So he says, I'm a Jew like you. I was born in Turkey, but I was raised in Jerusalem, right around the corner. I could just hear him almost say, you know Benjamin's farmer's market there? I used to buy figs there. So he's everything you can relate to with common ground. That's what I hear him doing. I was raised in the city. Well, what happened? Uh, his parents sent him to boarding school. And he has a sister, we find out in chapter 23, he has a sister who lives in Jerusalem with her son. And so there's some kind of connection. Maybe the older sister taking care of Paul, you know, learning at Gamaliel's feet. Now, Gamaliel, oh, what a smart thing to say. Gamaliel is like the Billy Graham of Judaism, all right? He is just well-respected, and so he starts saying this. And, and, and take the high ground when you're witnessing. Check Paul out. He says, I was zealous just like you're zealous for God. What a nice way to reinvent what really was happening there. A murderous mob wanting to kill him Paul rephrases as zealousness for God. You guys are zealous for God. I can relate because I understand where you're coming from trying to kill me because I used to try to kill guys like me, myself. As thinking that I was zealous for God. I'm rendering God a service by killing Christians. As Jesus our Lord said would happen. Was happening. So he says that. He says, I get you guys. You know, I harassed and persecuted Christians. We, we were called the way back then. And I like that because how we've said this before. But why, why did we get called the way? Because we were always saying, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way to get to heaven. Jesus is the way to avoid hell. Jesus is the way to trust and live your life. Jesus is the way. Right? And so he said, you know what? I used to chase them down, hunt them down. 
zealous for God. In Judaism, because we mistakenly saw Jesus and the gospel as a threat to Judaism, not as a fulfillment. And so in my misguided zeal, I wanted to protect Judaism from Jesus and the gospel. And so he says, he goes on to say, I got a hold of Stephen's letters after we killed Stephen. Commentators think it's Stephen's knapsack that Paul went through, found letters from Stephen to runaway Christian Jewish uh, folks who left to go to Damascus to hide from the rage of the Apostle Paul. Aha! We got names and addresses. So he says in his testimony, this is what I used to do. I got the names and numbers and I hunted them down. It doesn't matter, it's 100 miles. I got on a horse, I took my men, and we went down to get them because I confiscated the letters, you know. So he's telling, now listen, that's all we need to know. We get the picture. Paul had discernment when to stop talking about what he used to do. It's a testimony. It's not a bragamony, right? And so, oh, you think that's something? Oh, well, I used to. Oh, you know what? I've had to stop people in the middle of their bragamony and saying, you know what? We get the picture. We get the picture. Don't go. We don't need the details. What are you painting that in? You know, these are things that, what does the Bible say? It's shameful to even speak about what the disobedient do in secret. And we're all proud of it. Well, I used to do this and I get away with that. And that. You know what? What? Tell. Give us the gist of it without defiling us or glorifying any of it. Amen? So he knows what to say. Can you picture me? He, he, he already said, I used to drag men and women to, the, to prison. We, we got what kind of animal you are. And, and he wants to stop there because it's not about him and how bad he was. It's about Jesus and how good he is. And then he says, hey, Anybody know? Anybody of you have doubts? Ask the high priest. Ask one of the council members. They'll tell you. That's who I was. I'm not faking this. I was really that guy. And then, this happened to me. About noon, as I came near Damascus, verse 6, suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he said. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said. Go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. Now check this out. He was a devout observer of the law, dear Jewish audience, and highly respected by all the Jews, my dear Jewish listeners living there. He stood beside me and said, brother, calling me brother, Saul, receive your side. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said 
check this out, the God of our fathers, Jewish audience, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are, is behind this Jesus appearing. Has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, another term for Messiah, and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Let's pause there. So this is who I was at now. This is what happened to me. This is how it happened. This is, this is how I went from Saul, the murderer of Christians, to Paul, the missionary to Christians and for Christians. Wow. So what does he say? He says, at high noon, a bright light, flash, boom, done, down on the ground, it's over, dead. Saul's dead. Wow. Now, I started thinking about that approach God has with many of his people. It's a different way to get the fish into the boat, right? He's got that harpoon method that he used with Paul, and he's got the slow net that just kind of gradually. How many of you were the, you came to Christ slowly and gradually. You don't even have a date that you got saved. You just, it was slow, gradual kind of thing. How many? Lots of hands. How many of you lightning bolt from heaven? One minute you were, now next minute you are. Wow, kind of half and half. I was in the latter group as well. Wow. Well, first of all here, he makes Jesus the center, right? Jesus is the hero. Man, that's very important. The first thing that dawned on me was, wow, hope. Anybody know somebody that you've written off and said, never in a million years will this, this guy ever love the Lord or, or repent or renounce sin? Do you have a guy like that in your life? That... 10 seconds before, he's blaspheming God and torturing Christians, and the next minute, he's praising God. So have hope. Paul's not the only person like that, that God can turn around. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody believed it was possible. Nobody found, uh, nobody's there sharing the faith with him. <laughs> the Lord just says, boom. And he, down he goes, and up comes this new creation. Well, I want to stop there and say, what really happened? Did God just arbitrarily look at this uh, Christ hater and say, I'm going to, against your will, turn you into a missionary? Bam. Did he do that? I don't think so. Nor do commentators. They think that Paul was struggling and coming to faith Seeds were, have been planted all his life, and he needed, he was already aware of the truth and probably at some level had acknowledged that it was true because the Lord said to him that we only hear about in his next testimony in Acts 26, where he says, the Lord said to him, Paul, Saul, Saul, isn't it hard for you to kick against the golds? The good would, would prod the beast of burden to move in the direction that you wanted it to go. He says, isn't it hard, Saul, for you to fight against the truth you already know? Was there an inner cry, struggle, 
Yeah, sometimes when the people get close to the Lord, they get louder and more furious. And so just because he's loud and furious doesn't mean something wonderful isn't happening in that heart of his. Stephen's sermon that he heard, Paul heard, it was a masterpiece on a Jewish Old Testament survey course. Oh, Paul heard every word. Paul looked at his face. It shone like an angel. Paul was there. He saw how he died. Lord, I see the Lord standing and his face is shining. He's giving me a standing ovation of sorts. And he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them, Paul. You don't think that got into Paul? That got into Paul. He had, something was happening in his heart, uh, something he wasn't ready to admit or to face or to surrender, much less. But he was starting to believe. He's starting to believe. So the Lord saw that and just helped him along a little bit. <laughs> now, that happened in my life. It looks like I just walked into a bar, uh, had a vision. I walked out at 19. Most of you know the, the story. And I got saved. No Christians were talking to me or to my brother who was in the bar at the time. It looks like God just took two unwilling unbelievers and just brought them into faith. Well, there's more to the story. And as I think about it, because that really happened, but along the way, there were glimmers of faith. I was coming to faith. I needed God to just strike. That's what I needed. I remember my chain-smoking Jewish father who just found the Lord. He's reading the Bible, chain-smoking, talking about Jesus. Hey, guys, there's a heaven. There's a hell. You know, I remember all that and tucking it away. I remember going to sleep one night, just thinking he was crazy. But just in case, I prayed, God, if there's a hell, I certainly don't want to go there. You know, so just let me know. I didn't even mean it. I kept on doing my thing. I, uh, another time, I, I'm driving to a place where we're going to party with my buddies. And one of the buddies said, man, I love this life. This is the life we've always wanted from high school. We're vitally free to do it. And I said, yeah, I love it too. Except the one thing I don't like about it is that it, it's, we're breaking all of God's commands. <laughs> Dead silence in the car. I got goosebumps because I thought, why did I just say that? <laughs> We're breaking all on God's commands. He says, why did you just say that? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a God. I, this was going on for a long time. A guy talked to me at Powell Street with an open Bible. He's pouring out his heart. I said, hey, my Jewish father, you'd love him. Why don't you go? Here's his number. Call him. I'm not interested. I said, you know what? I, I believe you. I, I, but I can never be a Christian. I don't like anything Christian. I, how could I be a Christian? And he's trying to tell me, oh, you'll be chased. I'm like, yeah, right. I, no, it's not going to happen. And I said, I wish I could be. That's where I think the angel said to the other angels, did he just say he wished he could be a Christian? <laughs> we better stick a little bit closer to this guy. Now, you didn't know angels had a New York accent, did you? <laughs> but they do. So, and we walked June 3rd, 1979, not drinking, not taking drugs, me and my brother, bam, 
I couldn't see anything. I couldn't hear anything. The room was going around in circles, and I was hearing, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? I just stood there repeating the words. Just, just whoever was talking to me, I feel sorry for him. And I was saying, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? My brother saw that I was in distress, came over, put his arm around me, walked me out of the building, as I've told you many times. We said a sinner's prayer. I don't even know what a sinner's prayer was. We looked up at the sky and I said, I'm sorry, you're right. You're right, I'm wrong. That's all I said. I was born again, born again, right there. Now, it certainly looked like, you know, God just went in and said, hey, two sinners, boom, bang. No. You know what? It wasn't quite like that. It never really is. You've got to have something going on in there. And God just speeds it along. And he has his ways. Amen? <laughs> All right. So he says, here's my story. I'm sticking to it. I was knocked down, blinded, light brighter than the sun. It was a person who knew me, not a force. He's calling me Saul, Saul. I'm like, who are you, Lord? That gives you a good uh, answer right there. Jesus of Nazareth, who you're really fighting against. And always remember that God says, from my point of view, when they're giving you a hard time, it's not about you. They have a problem with God, and they're taking it out this way. So he's preaching the death and resurrection because he's talking about a Jesus who definitely is alive and talking to him and changing him. I really like that he emphasized parts that are helpful to his listeners. Uh, he emphasizes that Ananias is a devout, law-abiding Jew uh, who all the Jews love and the message, God of our fathers. And so the Jew, he, oh, here's what he's trying to say. This happened to me, but it's not against Judaism. You guys got the wrong idea. It's a fulfillment of Judaism. And so that's why I am the way I am. That's what he's saying. So 17 through 21. So when I returned to Jerusalem, he's still telling his testimony, and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance. I saw the Lord speaking quick. He said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said, go. <laughs> you know, he's arguing with the Lord. It just doesn't work. Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So one, this is how I was. This is who I was. Two, this is how it happened, how I came to faith. And three, this is who I am today. I'm serving the Lord. And yeah, he knows he has to get the crowd to, to understand what up with the Gentiles. Why are you so obsessed with Gentiles? So he has to take them to how the Lord has sent him there. Because as a new creation in Christ, that's what he does. So verse 17, he starts with Jerusalem. And he says, hey, all right. So I get saved. I go back to Jerusalem. And he says, I'm at the temple praying. He's pointing. And he says, I, I fell into like a vision. And then I got into a little argument with the Lord. And here's how it went. The Lord says to me, quick, 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 get out of here. You better hightail it out of here, man. The Jews aren't going to buy your story. I saw a bright light. I heard a voice. Of course you did. That's what they're going to say. Now, they're not going to believe you. You're in danger. Get out of here. 
So here's what Paul says. Lord, are you kidding me? Uh, maybe, maybe you're not uh, getting this whole story. They know. They know who I used to be. They, they saw me persecute people. Uh, why would I become one of them? It wouldn't make sense. Of course they're going to believe. Why would I make this story up? Why would I put myself in harm's way for something I don't believe in? Of course they'll believe. And then he says, uh, and Lord, you're forgetting about Ananias or you're forgetting about Stephen, I should say. When they were killing Stephen, I was two thumbs up, grin ear to ear. Come on, Lord. They killed him. And, and I was involved. So, of course they're going to believe me. And Paul says, no. God says rather to him, no. You would think they would. Isn't it shocking when God does the miracle and you go back and people know who you were, what you used to do, and there's no explanation for your new life. And you think, hey, here's the trump card. They're going to believe. How could you not believe? Because especially the ones who really know, right? And they don't acknowledge it. Just like Paul said. Paul can't believe it. He's arguing with the Lord. The Lord says, hey, they're not going to buy the story. Paul says, oh, yeah, they will. (laughs) He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know, Lord, but they know who I was. And there's no explanation why I would become one of them. They'll they'll have nothing to say. Of course they'll believe. No, no, sorry. Sin blinds. When you've already hardened your heart, you don't want to know the truth, it doesn't matter. Luke chapter 16, you remember? Two guys die. Before Jesus' ascension, Hades departed spirits all under, right? One side paradise, one side hell, right? So what happens? The guy who's in hell cries out to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, listen, please send Lazarus who died and went to paradise back to my father's house because I've got five brothers and I really don't want them to come to this place. They're headed here too. And Abraham says, it doesn't work that way. We don't cross over and do things like that. Besides that, they have the Bible And he says, oh, no, 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 Father Abraham, really, if someone rose from the dead, if you just let Lazarus go back and he rises from the dead, he'll go to my five brothers and they'll repent. And Abraham says, that's where you're mistaken. If they have the Bible and don't repent because of the word of God, a miracle will not do anything. Just doesn't matter. Paul, I know. I know they know it has to be God. But they're not going to buy it because you don't want to believe. Now, some will, of course. But the majority harden their hearts. He's just trying to tell them, you know, God's the reason I'm going to the Gentiles. But when he mentions that word, the conversation is brought to a halt. All right. So here we go. Let's finish up. The crowd listened to Paul and steady, and, until he said the word Gentile. 
Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged. Oh, that's the bad one. And questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, "Uh, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Just checking. (laughs) Maybe the laws have changed since I last heard them. (laughs) He's polite about that. That's unbelievable. Instead of saying, hey, man. I'm a Roman. You know, he says, hey, check it out. Did something change? Is it legal now? Verse 26. When the centurion, who guarded a hundred men, right? He oversaw a hundred. That's why he's called the centurion. When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported, what are you about to do? This guy's a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me. Are you a Roman citizen? (laughs) Yes, I am, he answered. The the commander says, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship, but I was born one, Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. (laughs) Whoops. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Now, Number four, we conclude with their reaction. I also have as a strategy note for giving your testimony, get used to rejection, all right? Get used to rejection. What threw them into a uh, hissy fit? Well, what happened was the word Gentiles. Here's what they heard. It wasn't just Gentiles. This is what they heard. This Jesus was our Messiah. He came to us. We rejected him, and now we see where this is going. You're saying, now he opened the door wide open to all the goyim, the Gentiles, and they get to come in, listen, and be on equal footing with us just for saying a simple prayer, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And they're on equal footing with the children and heirs of God as we are, who keep the law and have 4,000 years of history, and we don't eat this, and we don't do that, and all they have to do is say the sinner's prayer? Away with him, he has no reason to live anymore, because we're offended by that. Now, to put it in Christian terms that may help you, a murderer who's killed several people comes to Christ through a simple prayer in his cell. Dear God, I'm an animal. I was demonized. Forgive me if you can. Your son bled and died for the wicked. I'm wicked. I put my faith and trust in you. The same way as the morally inclined, upstanding citizen who's never had a besetting sin doesn't do porn, gives to charities. It's a good guy. Family man. He has to get saved the same way as a serial killer. Same door. 
a little offensive if you're the guy with good morals. This is what their problem was, right? That's what the problem was. God extending the same honor and privileges and salvation to really crummy people who have done some very terrible things but who believe on Jesus Christ. It's like Jonah. (laughs) The Lord says, Jonah, I want you to go preach to Nineveh, to those terrorists. Terrorists! They were the terrorists of terrorists. And Jonah says, no way, because I know what's going to happen. They're going to repent and cry, and you're going to forgive them. You're not going to strike them dead. I'm not going. I'm going this way. And the Lord said, oh, no, you are going. (laughs) And so what does Jonah say at the end of his life? I told you. Where's the smoke? I'm mad. I'm mad enough to die. And God asked the same, man, get a heart. A heart, they repented. They turned from their sins. That's what this whole story's about, Jonah. You see? But the, the Jews in the crowd, they didn't want to hear any of that stuff about the Gentiles. I love the commander wants more information because it doesn't make sense to the commander. He, all he said was, and then he said, go to the Gentiles. Wow, kill him. So he says, something's missing here. I don't have all the pieces. So we're going to take you inside. We're going to torture you until you tell us what it is, because this doesn't add up, right? So they're going to use the flagellum. The flagellum is not the five times he received the 39 lashes. The lashes were, were just lashes, bad enough, 39 times. The flagellum is what they used on Jesus, with the long cords of leather weighted down with glass, metal, and bone shards you died from it you crippled for life and you you, you often would die and Paul knows this is it this is where I die because they'll wait until you confess and there's nothing for him to confess so he knows it's over so he says hey just checking to the centurion uh, did, did, did a law get passed that changed the original law that you're not supposed to do this to Roman citizens the other guy says uh Hold on. And he goes back, and here comes the big guy. You can't buy Roman citizenship. You have to bribe your way in. There was no selling, right? So when he says, I paid a lot, he bribed. He said, he, he, he eyeballs this peasant traveling preacher who just got beat up. He looked terrible. And he, he's disappointed. He's like, they're letting anybody in now. So he looks at him, and he, and he says, uh, you know how much it costs me? A fortune to bribe my way into getting Roman status. Look, where did a guy like you get that kind of money? I was born a citizen. Oh, which is even better because it meant that Paul's father or grandfather did something worthy, a good deed of some kind or fought, you know, had some kind of wonderful thing for the Roman Empire, and it was bestowed upon Paul's father, and it passes down to the son, who is born that way as a thank you, as a debt of gratitude and honor. So when he said that, everybody went, whoa, I think I hear my mom calling. (laughs) Everybody's gone. Illegal, illegal to bind a Roman, illegal to whip them. They're exempt from crucifixion. They're exempt 
from the flagellum. And Paul could have pressed charges. They all could have been in a lot of trouble, but he didn't do it. He will use his rights soon, but he didn't do it there. Just a, a, a beautiful way to end. And so the commander uh, takes off, but he, he ties him over, and here's how it ends. Uh, he says, verse 30, uh, the next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Uh, then they brought Paul and had him stand before them. Now these guys, he used to be one of them. He used to sit on this council. So he's going to stand before the council he used to sit with. All right? And listen to this. Paul looks straight at his old friends and says, Whoa! <laughs> what can I say? I personally, I would want to keep you another hour, but you know, I can't do that, all right? Well, listen, Nick's going to come up in the worship team. Come on up here. And next week, we'll hear what he tells the Supreme Court of Israel, his testimony. While you're chiming away, I want to tell you something that my dad did that impacted me and got me ready to accept Jesus. You're going to laugh, and I've told this before, but it's pretty powerful. It wasn't anything he said. He, if, you st if he caught you in his tractor beam with the Bible open and the cigarettes going, he was a chain smoker, right? He would talk your ear off because he didn't have a church. He just had the open Bible. And he loved the Old Testament where he was at home. And so if he, if he caught you, he would just, oh, my word, the millennial kingdom and the Davidic promises and all the dispensations. I'm like, Dad, I got to go. <laughs> nothing about the Bible. Nothing he said. It was something he did. His testimony without trying. And I told you this before. He, he and I were in a car. It was a Saturday morning. And we're driving. I'm unrepented, the hell-bound sinner that I am. He, his Christian self. And he looked at a little kid riding a bike. And he waved at the kid. I looked at him. Do you know him? He goes, no. Why did you wave at him? My dad but not a real friendly kind of guy, okay? He didn't particularly care for little kids, all right? He said, he's a cute little kid. He's on the sidewalk. He's riding his bike. He's just, wasn't he adorable? He's a cute kid, he's telling me. A cute kid waving in the rearview mirror trying to check out. Oh, adorable. What? Who are you? It stuck with me my entire journey. It's like I remember getting goosebumps thinking, there's a God. From that, now, folks, listen, your testimony is really powerful. 
but you're testifying just by living out the transformed life of Jesus Christ when you're just being obedient in the moment, when you're responding in the opposite spirit, when you're doing something that the world would go left and you're going right and you're not even thinking about it. You know, remember the guy who said, hey, I can fix your transmission. You got a big problem, but you're 100 miles over. I'm just going to do a little, little thing and then I'll get paid. You get a new transmission. Everybody's happy. And then I said, except Jesus. <laughs> it, it's those moments where, ah, the truth goes out and impacts people. So be encouraged. Yeah, we get a lot of rejection, but a lot is going on that you don't even know is happening. And somebody's going to look at you in heaven and say, hey, remember the time you, that really pushed me so close. Thank you for that, because you were a witness to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for <laughs> the wonderful privilege of being witnesses for you, just to give our testimony, just to... Help the invisible God become visible through the effect you have on our lives so others may see, believe, and have eternal life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for the closing song. It's stand, right? Yeah, all right. So you might be here this morning and talking about all of this coming to Christ uh, stuff makes you want to come to Christ because you've never asked him into your heart. You've never opened. You've never received. We're not talking about um, a rededication of a Christian life, but somebody, you've never met the Lord. You've never heard the voice. You're not a part of the Christian family of God, but you want to be. You have enough faith. And today's the day you want to tell the story and your testimony, and it'll be about this day, this Sunday, when you had your sins washed away because you trusted in the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, and that includes yours, if you believe. So we're going to bow our heads and pray for you, close our eyes, and if anybody's here and you want to dedicate your heart to the Lord, become a Christian this morning, simply raise your hand up nice and high, and we'll just include you in the closing prayer. Nice and high. Anybody in the middle section? Anybody on my left? Anybody on the right? Right, I think I kind of see a hand. It could have been a head scratch, but we're going to go for it. All right? <laughs> Here we go. Let's repeat the sinner's prayer, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe in Jesus. Save me. I open my heart to you. Cleanse me of my sins. I put my trust in Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Heavenly Father, we do pray for that one soul who meant that prayer that you would nurture that faith and help us be supportive and uh, Lord, we pray for their protection and that you would fill them up with your spirit and that they would know something happened today. We thank you for what we heard today. Help us put it into practice and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Amen. Don't forget about a three o'clock baptism. It's out near Redwood Covenant. It's right down the street from there. I hope to see you there. If not, we'll see you Wednesday night. God bless you.